2 Timothy chapter 3, I'll read the first uh, five verses. I started a series a couple of weeks ago entitled A World in Crisis. Um, and I want to talk today about Love Wins. Uh, and this is the second in a three-part series. And I'll conclude this series here in the next uh, week or so. 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you have it in your Bibles or on your electronic device or on the screen behind me, here's what the Bible says. Paul writes this, But know this, that in the last days that perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Paul said, know this, in the last days that perilous times will come. I want to preach the second message today in this series, A World in Crisis, entitled Love Wins. Actually, there you go, that title will slide there, Love Wins. Father, bless the Word today. Bless the few moments we're going to spend today in this book we call the Word of God, the treasure chest that you give us that has every answer for every question and has a solution for every problem that we have in life today. I love you. I thank you for what you're going to do in these moments we have together. In Jesus' name, the church said amen. Bless you today. You can be seated. Pastor Tony, thank you today for your help. Crisis has been defined as a condition of instability or danger, as in social, economical, political, or international affairs leading to decisive change. And when we look at the social, economical, political and international landscape of this nation and even of this world, I feel today in my heart that I can say with confidence that we are indeed a world that's in crisis. The Apostle Paul pins this letter to a man named Timothy, a young man named Timothy. Timothy has become the Apostle Paul's protege. Timothy is now a young pastor leading a church at a place called Ephesus. Paul writes two different letters to Timothy, and in the second letter he writes to encourage him and be to steadfastness and fidelity, both as a Christian and as a minister. And he writes to him and he warns him that dangerous and difficult days were ahead. There's two things in that very first verse that I read to you. Paul just kind of hones in on very quickly and he says this to Timothy. Timothy, know this, in the last days. We, any time that we read in Scripture of the last days, it is in reference to those days that, that, that precede the soon return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if Paul wrote to Timothy that long ago, know this in the last days, I'm telling you, we are living in the last of the very last days. Know this, he said, that in the last days, perilous times were going to come. He speaks there of dangerous times, of difficult times, times of trial, times of persecution, grievous times, that word means. But probably the, 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 the easiest understanding of that word in its, its most clearest and simple form, it means times of stress. Know this, Timothy. 
that in the last days that stressful times are coming. And if you read down after he wrote that verse, he, he writes to Timothy and reveals what the times of stress were going to cause. Men were going to resort to things that are uncommon and unnatural. And I firmly believe today that we are living in the very days that the Apostle Paul talked about when he wrote to young Timothy and said, Know this, Timothy, that in the last days that perilous times are coming. Jesus spoke about it, Matthew 24. He told us that it was going to be like this just before his return. The disciples asked him what would be the sign of the end of the age, what would be the sign of his coming. He said there would be, there would be wars and rumors of wars. There would be earthquakes. There would be famine. There would be pestilence in many places. False prophets would arise and deceive many. There would be hatred of people. There would lawlessness would abound. The love of many would grow cold. We are living in the last days. We are living in the very end of the age. And I believe at any moment that Jesus Christ could step out on a cloud and sound that trumpet and catch us away. And what a day of rejoicing that would be. Oh, what singing. Oh, what shouting. On that happy morning when we all shall rise. That day could happen at any moment. But in the meantime, while the church is still here and Christian people are still here, listen, we should not be surprised. We should not be alarmed. We should not be taken aback or caught off guard by what's going on around us. The fact that there has been such hatred and bigotry and prejudice that has been displayed in the city of Charlottesville, and it's not just Charlottesville, it's been all over the nation the last years. That shouldn't surprise us. The fact that North Korea is, as I believe, on the verge of possibly launching a, a nuclear missile, that, that stuff shouldn't surprise us. The fact that people are turning away and false prophets are arising and preaching some kind of perverted, polluted gospel, that, that shouldn't surprise us. Jesus said that, that these days were coming, but, but what do we do? In the midst of this world that's in crisis, listen, now is not the time for Christians or the church to step back, to sit down, or to shut up. Now is the time for the church. Now is the time for Christians to stand up, to speak out, and to be heard. Listen, now is the time for the church and for Christians to be proactive both in what we say and in what we do. The other week I opened this series up and I told you that I believe there were three things the Lord had laid on my heart that the church, that Christians must do in the midst of a world in crisis. A couple weeks ago I preached you about the fact that we must preach Jesus to a world in crisis. Today I want to talk about the fact that we must portray love to a world in crisis. And finally, I want to talk to you after this message, the next message in this series, and talk to you about we need to pursue peace. But today, let me talk to you a little bit about portraying love. We need a revival of love in this world. Let me just make that a little clearer and more specific for us. We need a revival of love in the church today. And with so much hatred and anger that's being spewed 
all across this world right now, it seems far-fetched for us to even talk about love. Listen, this world right now is filled with anger and hate and rage. And we need, as Christian people and as the church, we need to portray love. Here's what I believe. Love will win the day every single time. Let me talk to you about a love that wins today. When we speak of love, there are three different words, Greek words. And I'm not a Greek scholar, but there's three different Greek words that the Bible uses to talk about love. The first is eros, E-R-O-S, and that speaks of a sexual love. The second kind is philos, P-H-I-L-O-S, that speaks of brotherly love. There's a third type of love, and it's, this will be a very familiar word to many of you. It's called agape love. And that is a love that speaks of faithfulness. That is a love that speaks of commitment. That is a love that is unconditional. That is a love that is of God and that is from God. 1 John 4 and 8 says that he who does not love does not know God. For God is love. Everything about God screams, I love you. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Many of you know that chapter. It's what I call the love chapter. If you really want to know how to love somebody, go read 1 Corinthians 13. And it says that love is not rude. Love is not easily provoked. Love is not angry. Love suffers long. It bears all. But I love what verse 8 says. Love never fails. Love is shown. Listen, love is not shown by what it says. Love is shown by what it does. I can tell my wife and my kids all day long that I love them. But if I don't show them that I love them, my talk is cheap, my words are empty, my verbiage is meaningless if I don't show love. It's shown by what it does. It's, it's unmerited. It's gracious. It's Matthew 5 and 44 where Jesus says to love your enemies. To pray for those who persecute you, to do good to those who despitefully use you. That's agape love. It's John 13 and 34 where Jesus says, I have a new commandment that I want to give to you, that you are to love others as I have loved you. It's Ephesians 2 and 4. That speaks about God being rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he has loved us. It's Hebrews 13 and 1. Let brotherly love continue. It is 1 John 3 and 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. It's love. And love is not something that is based on how we feel. Because let's just be honest, there's a, there, there are probably times that you don't always 
feel like you love someone. Oh, Pastor, not me. You have a knockdown drag out with your spouse and tell me how much love you feel at that moment. Yeah, that just helps. Some of you just sat up on that one. Well, maybe he's right. You have that old discussion. We have discussions in my house. We had one the other day. The kid said, why are you fighting? I said, ain't nobody fighting. We're, we're having a discussion. <laughs> Pastor, we didn't know that you did that in your house. Well, what do you, you think? I'm, I'm not any different than you. There's times that I get on her nerves terrible. And there's times she gets on my nerves terrible. And we don't always feel like we love one another. Listen, there's times that I'm pretty sure my kids don't always feel like they love me. There's times that I don't always feel a sense of love because I feel a sense of aggravation. When I tell you the night before we're leaving at 840 because I need to eat breakfast, I need to have a meeting, be out of the bed and be ready to go because if you don't, you're not getting your phones all day long. And at 835, there's no hope. There's no hope. And they get into the car, and they've got hairbrushes and hairspray, and they just have spit toothpaste literally out their mouth on the way to the car. But bless God, they made it by 840. I didn't feel a whole lot of love this morning. I walked upstairs, and I told Kelly, it's inconsiderate. She said, don't tell me. I wouldn't get up. Tell you what I felt. I said, I got 60 seconds. I'm walking out the door. You better be in the car. And I'm telling you, I've never, there's no way they had, their breath had to smell terrible this morning. There's no way that their whole bodies got clean this morning. I mean, at 830, I'm downstairs. I hear the showers. I'm trying to pray now and get my mind ready for, to come up here and preach. I hear the showers turn on, and I, I just, I got furious. I said, I told them, like, I mean, I was mad. I didn't feel like I loved them. But does it change the fact that I love them? No. And congratulations, you two, you made about 840. You better count your blessings that you did. But it's a determined act of the will. That's what love is. It's a, oh, I feel like preaching right now. It's a joyful resolve to put the welfare of others above your own. You cannot conjure or create that kind of love. Listen, you are incapable of creating that kind of love. That love comes only from the source of all love, and that source is the Lord Jesus Christ. And according to Romans 5 and 5, it is the love of God that has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Listen, in 1 John 3, there's 2 John 3, 16, but 1 John 3, 16 says, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us and we should lay down our lives for the brethren. You can't create that kind of love on your own. You can't conjure that kind of love. I can't preach you into that kind of love, but it only comes from the source of the greatest love that any man, woman, boy, or girl has ever known. That's the love of the Lord Jesus Christ who hung on a cross, who suffered, who died, who bled, who rose again, who Who's coming back to take us to live with him forever in heaven. If you're glad about that, somebody praise him today. Oh, I feel him in this place. Hallelujah. Woo. I've been stressed all week long. I'm just getting some stress out. Hallelujah.
was Henry Ward Beecher that said that the greatest music that has reached the farthest in heaven is the beating of a loving heart. I'm going to give you real quickly. Tony, at 12 o'clock, come to the keys, wherever you are. At 12 on the nose, just walk up here. If I'm not done, at least they'll think I'm done. Here's a love that wins. You ready? A love that wins has as its example. Everybody say example. It has as its example the Lord Jesus Christ. You ready for the greatest verse of love in all of the Bible? You ready? We all know it. We can all quote it. John 3, 16. Listen, if they had just wrote that one verse and that had been the only part of the Bible, that, that would be, that, listen, that's the, that's the scope of the gospel all in one verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Do you realize that that verse right there contains four dimensions of God's love? Watch this. For God so loved the world. That speaks of the width of God's love. That God's love is so wide that it can wrap its arms around and encompass and include seven and a half billion people that live on this planet. Do you realize that God's love is so wide that not one person of the seven and a half billion people that live on this planet are unloved by God. That's a love that no man could ever demonstrate or ever practice. That's an example of the love of Christ. For God so loved the world, the wit, watch this, that he gave his only begotten son. That speaks of the length of God's love. That, that speaks of just how far he was willing to go, Eric Smithers, to not just show us, but to tell us he loved us. He gave his only begotten son. The old songwriter said, and I've quoted it many times before, it's been said with pretty flowers and shining diamond rings, a band of gold, a string of pearls, a million different things. But to find a greater token of love, I'm at a loss. These treasures rare cannot compare to the old rugged cross. And the course that I'm dying to tell you, I love you. I'm dying to bring you life anew. I want to show you what grace can do. I'm dying to tell you that I love you. And God went so far as to give his only begotten son for you and me. Watch this. It's the width. It's the length. It's the depth of God's love. That whosoever, somebody say whosoever, that whosoever believeth in him, whosoever excludes no one and includes everyone. You know who, is a, you know who a whosoever is? You're one and I'm one. Well, pastor, I was never a drunk and I was never a spouse beater. I was never an adulterer. I was never a murderer. I was never a lie. I was never a cheat. Yeah, but you were still a sinner. And here's the problem we have today. We think that we can, 
we can just, we've got sin and we can just kind of, there's degrees of sin and here and here. Now there's some sin, the consequences are far greater, but sin is still sin and it separates you from God. But oh, how deep is the love of God that it would reach way down to a lost man and a lost woman just like you and me and pick us up. The Old Testament said out of a miry clay, set our feet up on a rock, establish our going, put a song in our mouth, even praise unto God. That's how deep the love of God goes. It loves an adulterer. It loves a homosexual. It loves a murderer. It loves a lie. It loves a cheat. It loves a simple person like you and me. That's the kind of love that God has for you and me. Hallelujah. But then watch the height of God's love, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He's talking about heaven. Can I use an old cliche of an old preacher that said he takes us from the guttermost and he takes us to the uttermost. He saves us. He cleans us up. He gets us ready. He prepares us to live with him forever in a place called heaven. That's the kind of love that only the Lord Jesus Christ can give us. Number two. A love that wins has Christ as its example. Number two, a love that wins is always willing to extend forgiveness. One of the hardest things you'll ever do in your life is forgive someone who hurts you. It's to forgive someone who betrays you and causes you pain. Listen, forgiveness is hard, especially when you're hurting. Anybody in here ever had a hard time forgiving anyone? You better ever hand this building better be up. Forgiveness is strange in a secular world, James Hanks. But forgiveness is freeing when it comes to our future. You know how we forgive? You know the easiest way to forgive, if there is an easy way? We remember what Christ forgave us. Ephesians 4 and 32. Be kind and tenderhearted. I used to sometimes, we, ha- we had different ways of punishment with our children. And you just, when they were little, you just couldn't spank all the time, especially with, with one of them. You just spanked them every day of their lives. I'm not mentioning any names, J.C., but you just you had to figure out a more creative way of correction. Strong, anybody raise any strong-willed children? Ooh, Lord. Boy, she's, she's a joy of our lives. She's gotten so much better. Early on, I told Kelly, we, 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 we got to stop. We'll have to spank her. I, I thought about someone just getting her up and spanking her before the day started just to go ahead and get a head start on it. So we started some little more creative correction. We, you know, we, when they'd fight, be ugly, we'd have them just write some sentences. And at the end, they'd have to put a Bible verse. And I picked Ephesians 4.32 one day because they were being mean to one another. And it says, be kind and tenderhearted. And I, one of them, I think it was Jensen, he wrote, be kind and renderhearted. <laughs> Tender, render, it doesn't matter. He got the point. I need to be a little nicer to my sister. And Paul said, be kind and tenderhearted. Watch this. Forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Why would we hold a grudge? Why would we stay angry? Why would we stay bitter? Why would we be so unforgiving when we realize how much Jesus Christ forgave us? How much he forgave us? He forgave us for everything. And, Pastor, you don't know what they've done. You don't know what they've done to hurt me. You don't know what they've done to wound me. I understand. But when you look at the fact that God in Christ forgave us for every single sin we would ever commit, how could we hold a grudge and stay bitter? i gotta, I got to... Four-step solution for you to get over 
unforgiveness. Number one, you ready? Don't curse it. You know what that means? Don't see it as something bad because God might use it to help get you where you're supposed to be. Don't curse it. Number two, you ready? Don't nurse it. You know what that means? Don't keep feeding it all the time. You know how you feed it when you talk about it? When you, re, when you go over it and over it and you just don't know what they've done. How bad? Don't nurse it. Number three, you ready? Don't rehearse it. You don't have to call everybody and tell them about it all the time. I'm telling you, we've used the telephone for the sake of prayer in the church for way too long. That was a good place to say amen right there. Come on, Pastor Tony. Don't, don't rehearse it. You don't have to keep going over and over and over all the time and calling people. You won't believe what they've done, how bad it was. Don't rehearse it. But here's the, here's the solution. You ready? you got to disperse it. You know what that means? you got to give it to him. you got to let God have it. you got to take it off of your back and put it on his back because his back is able. His back is strong enough to handle it. Here's the third thing. A love that wins is a love that has Christ as an example. It's a love that's willing to extend forgiveness And a love that wins will never excuse sin. We have to love people enough to tell them the truth. Because you know what we've done in this world today? We've become more concerned about being tolerant than we have truthful. Ooh, I'm going to preach right here. And we're too concerned. Well, I I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings and offend them. You know, if I tell them the truth, it's going to make them mad. I'd rather tell them the truth and make them mad than lie to them and and water down the Word of God and give them some false perception of the Lord that I serve. But here's how you tell the truth. You speak the truth and you tell the truth in love. You realize that you can tell people hard things, you can do it nicely. I've been doing it for 20 years in the ministry. I think once or twice I kind of flipped my lid and just went off on somebody, but once or twice. Honest. And I usually always try to take the high road and be kind and nice. And you know what my, my standard answer is sometimes, Brother Kenny Hancock, when I make people mad? Honest. I just smile and say, I'm sorry you feel that way. And I mean that. I'm so, and I've told people, well, I don't agree with you and I don't like it. I'm, I'm sorry you feel that way. I'm going to call the overseer. I'm, I'm sorry you feel that way. I've tell young pastors when they get started, listen, and they say, you have any advice? I said, yeah, when you make somebody mad, just smile and shake your head. I'm sorry, you feel that way. Because a soft answer always turns away wrath. And I've told the truth in love for many years. I've stood behind this pulpit for two and a half years. I've preached the truth to you. Sometimes it's been hard truth to preach, but it's been done in love. But we live in a world now, Aunt B. We want to make everybody feel good. We want to be politically correct. That makes me nauseous. I want to be scripturally powerful and truthful and not politically correct. I want to tell the truth. And if i got to get up here and tell you the truth, that listen, the lifestyle you're living is not right, it's going to send you to hell, but you don't have to stay that way because there's a God that loves you and cares about you who died and gave his son for you, and Jesus loves you. That's how you speak the truth in love. And Jesus always spoke the truth. You know what his motivation was? He was motivated by love. Remember John 8 when the lady was caught in adultery? I love that story. I tell it all the time. And the religious leaders brought her to Jesus. More than likely, theologians tell us she was probably had a bed sheet around her because they caught her. The Bible said in the very act of adultery, drug her to Jesus. Said to him, the law says she ought to be stoned for her sin. 
What do you say, Jesus? He stooped down on the ground and started writing in the dirt. I love it. And without looking up, he says, you that have no sin, you cast the first stone. And all of a sudden, he looks up, the Bible says, and it's just him and that woman. You know why the religious leaders had left? They had stones ready to throw, but they had sin in their lives. And you know what motivated Jesus that day? It was to tell the religious leaders the truth and to show her love. And here's what he said. Woman, where are your accusers? Lord, I don't have any. Neither do I condemn you. Now watch this because people will, they misinterpret that scripture. Well, Jesus was excusing her sin. No, he wasn't. Watch what he said. Woman, where's your accusers? Lord, I don't have any. Well, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. It's okay not to be okay, Jesus was saying in everyday terms, but it's not okay to stay that way. He didn't tell her, well, it's okay, go on back to your adulterous affair. You know, I'm not going to condemn you. You just need to work that out. I know that, you know, we need to be politically correct here, and you guys got to stay in sin so you can keep getting your government benefits. That's not the first time I've said it. I promise you these next three weeks I'm going to preach no different than I've preached the last two and a half years. If I make you mad, it won't matter. You'll have to come find me. <laughs> That's what happens today. Well, Pastor, we can't get married because we'll lose our benefits. Yeah, but you're going to lose your soul in hell. Now, you won't find that on, you won't find a TV preacher tell you that most of the time because they, they don't, they don't want to tell you the truth. But I'm going to tell you the truth today. Listen, you're married to one man or one woman. You can't have an extra marital relations, extra marital affair. Can't do it. Uh-uh. And you can't live together and be sexually active outside of covenant of marriage. It's a sin. Well, pastor, we're not doing anything. We're just living together. It looks terrible. And it's a bad testimony, a bad witness. You shouldn't let your good be spoken of evil. Oh, I'm preaching the truth, but I love you. That don't happen in the church, pastor. You lost your mind. I tell you, one church I pastored many years ago, They'd come ready to join the church. We'd have membership class. I'd tell them, listen, I can't take you in. Why? I said, because you're living together. Well, he sleeps on the couch. I said, really? I said, here's what I say. It's not, the, it's not where he sleeps. It's what you do before he gets to the couch that concerns me. And I said, it's a sin. And I can't let you join this church because it's a sin. And it's wrong. We had more weddings and more people move out and get their own house. I'm not kidding you. It would blow your mind. You know why? Because I cared enough to tell them the truth, and I said, I love you. And the only reason I'm telling you, I don't want you. They got mad at me, but they got over it, and they said, you know what, Pastor, you're right. If you're going to tell people the truth, you've got to tell them in love. Now I'm closing. We don't have to become like the world in order to reach the world. There should be something different about Christian folk. There'd be something different about the church. Now, that doesn't mean we look down our nose on somebody and we act better than them or we're holier than thou. That's the worst attitude any church person could have. That pharisaical, condemning religious spirit that says, well, this is how it ought to be and you should suffer and pay for your sins. And Stop that. The church ought to be a harbor of hope for people ought to be a place of love, and we love them enough to tell them the truth.
Let me tell you this little story, and this is, I'm going to have you stand with me. There was this tradition that the early settlers had in America when they were building their homes in our country. And oftentimes, they would, they, when they would build their homes, they would build their homes high up on the hills. Because when you built their, when they, they understood when you build, built your home that high on the hill, it kept them safe from the danger of poisonous snakes that like to live in the valley. You know what they called it? They called it living above the snake line. Because they understood that when you got to a certain level, that poisonous snakes and other animals, they weren't comfortable when you got that high. Here's what we've done in the church, and I'm watching it happen all over the world today. We've started living below the snake line. And the sin of this world has gotten way too comfortable sitting in the pews of our church. And when people leave our church services, and I've got, I probably got people that would disagree with this. I'm not saying that we ought to beat people down and make them feel bad. But when you preach the truth in love, if people aren't living right, they should leave with a sense of conviction. You know what? The Word of God is working on me, and I need to change some things in my life. But see, we've gotten more concerned about building our numbers and filling the pews than we have mature Christians that grow in their walk with Christ. Oh, I feel like an evangelist today. And see, we got to live above the snake line. We, 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 we can't get too comfortable. We can't get too accustomed to dark and to sin that we just kind of say, well, I'll just, I'm just going to let it slide. No, we got to care about people enough to never excuse sin. And the truth spoken in love will reach a world lost in sin. Listen, it reached a world 2,000 years ago. Jesus' message of love reached the world 2,000 years ago. And that, world, and that word still works for the world today, that I love you. I died for you. I got a plan for you. And we must, listen, if you've got family members that are lost and need Jesus, they don't need you to point your finger in their face and condemn them to hell and tell them how bad they are. You need to tell them, I love you and Jesus loves you. God has a plan for your life, and I'm praying for you, and can I show you the truth? You've got to be motivated by love. Love. Love wins the day every single time. It won 2,000 years ago. It still wins today. Come on, bow your heads with me. Close your eyes. Father, thank you for the word today. Thank you for the truth of Scripture today. God, work on our hearts in these moments right now. Whatever you want to say to us, whatever you want to speak to us, Convict us. Confront us today, God. Encourage us today to move on in our walk with you. To do whatever it is you want us to do. Why don't you look at me? Here's the question I felt like the Holy Spirit wanted me to ask you this week as I prayed about this day. There's some of you in here. There's some people you need to love and you're struggling. So here's the question. Who do you need to love? Who do you need to love? Pastor, I, I, I couldn't dare. I couldn't dare reach out and try to fix that. It's too deep. Who do you need to love? Love's not shown by what it says. Show by what it does. Who do you need to love? Who do you need to show love to? Who do you need to show grace to? Pastor, you don't know the hurt. You don't know the pain. I, 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 I can't even begin to tell you, Pastor. I, I can't do it. I, I can't love them. Who do you need to love today? Who do you need to show love to today? 
Here's the third question. Who needs to experience the love of Christ in this place today? Maybe you've never, you, maybe you've never received the love of God in your life and you've never given your heart to Christ. You can receive that love today. Who in here has been living with guilt and condemnation over your past mistakes and your failures and all that you've been involved in? Even though the Lord's brought you out and the Lord saved you and you're a Christian, but you still, you get into these moments, you hear pe- preachers talk like this, and all of a sudden it dawns on you that you're still living with guilt and condemnation. Who needs to experience that love today? It's here. It's here. It's here. Would you just raise up your hands and welcome? I, I just sense the, the brooding today, that word, just that hovering of the Spirit of the Lord today. I don't want to take long right here. But I want you to hear the word of the Lord today to you. I have loved thee with an everlasting love, the Father says. And there's nothing you'll ever do or nothing you could ever do to make me not love you. I love you. I, somebody needs to hear that today. The Father loves you. And who do you need to love today? Who do you need to forgive today? Who do you need to contact or call maybe today? And here's the truth. You may never have a great relationship where you're together all the time, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to free you today to make that phone call or send that email or that message and say, listen, I've been holding some hurt and some pain and a grudge against you. I want you to know I love you and I forgive you. That may need to happen today or this week. At some, I'll tell you, it'll free you. You'll experience freedom like you've never experienced in your life. And listen, you need to ask the Lord today, fill my heart with your love, that agape love, that unconditional love that unmerited graciousness. I want to invite you to stand with me this morning.